Hi, everybody. I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been doing a series of webinars now for almost a year. We're over 170, and you can find them all on the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. And just remember, this week is week six of the grand prize drawing. This is the grand prize week. So if you have not entered the fifth anniversary contest on Facebook, you got to get there now. You need to enter all five weeks to be eligible for week six. We're keeping track. If we've missed some, uh, you know, that you've entered and we've missed it, just let us know. PM us on Facebook. We'll make sure you're in. And on Friday, we're going to draw that grand prize. So stay tuned. Today, my guest is Rebecca Housted, and she has come back, kindly come back again on a beautiful riding day to talk to us about <laughs> a topic that we never want to have happen, but we want to be prepared. And so I think that that is probably the most important thing is, is to listen to Rebecca and find out what we can do to, to avoid or diminish any of these kind of problems that she's going to talk about today. So welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much for coming back. Thank you very much. I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen. Yep, and just kind of give everybody a little bit of your background so they know where you're coming from. Okay, hang on. There we go. And there we go. Okay, folks, so I do the technical large animal emergency rescue. I work with a lot of firefighters and veterinarians um, and some horse owners and, and folks like that. Um, about how to deal with animals in all kinds of emergencies. We do some disaster preparedness stuff, but mostly emergencies such as, you know, the trailer wreck happens, the barn fire happens. And we've been doing that. Uh, me and my ex-husband did it for a long time together and he retired in 2013. So now I've been working, I've got quite a few assistant instructors around the world and we're working really hard to get this kind of education out because it's the kind of thing that people don't wanna talk about because it's, sometimes awful, but uh, when it happens, we're, we're trying to get people to A, prevent it from happening in the first place, but second of all, know what to do if it happens to you or your next door neighbor and those kind of things. So today we're gonna to talk about horse barns and really it's also veterinary facilities because many veterinary facilities um, are also horse barns and uh, a lot of veterinarians don't think about it that way because they have their, you know, their vet clinic at one end, but the rest of it's a barn. And so this really also applies you guys might want to share this out with uh, your veterinarians if they fall into that category. So um, really relevance to our business, uh, whether you're a boarding business or a horse owner or a veterinarian is you wanna prevent this. And uh, I'm, I'm sure you can see that those are some beautiful gates there. This was a brand new facility. It's a Frisian um, barn and it was very, very new and it burned to the ground anyway and they lost a lot of animals. And we want to try to prevent this thing in the first place. And it was probably an electrical thing uh, that's notorious for some of the new barns as well as, as older barns. But uh, we don't want this to happen. Um, I spend a lot of time talking to people after these things happen. And when you hear their stories, it's, it's just horrendous. So let's try to figure out how we can prevent that. So one of my mentors along the way is a veterinarian. And his name is Dr. Dick Mansman. He's in North Carolina now. But he worked in California for a long time. And he got involved in some of the disaster stuff and emergency stuff because, you know, California is sort of like the state of disaster. <laughs> There's always some kind of disaster. And most of it is, you know, wildfires and those kind of things. But what he noticed was that when he started working within his facility, um, whether you're a, a barn manager or you're a, a veterinary practice manager, when he started noticing was that when he started using some of these concepts of, you know, plan for the worst and hope for the best, 
he started noticing that some of this really affected their schedule as far as how they worked, um, how they approached problems, their efficiency, um, some of the confidence for their personnel that were working for them, um, just because they'd already been through some of the worst case disaster stuff. So that's what I would encourage you to do is to sort of, I'm not saying embrace uh, this awful things, but at least do some of the prevention part and, and hopefully that will affect your, your schedule a little bit better. So since we're talking about fires, what does the fire service really respond to? And I, I don't know about you guys, but you know, I was sort of horrified when I found out that agricultural fires to the fire service basically included um, horse barns along with chicken production facilities, tractor sheds, hay barns, manure fires, and corn silos. And they were like, oh, well, that's an agricultural fire. And I was like, uh, so the rest of those things, except chickens, don't have brains. So how can you, con you know, consider a hay shed or a tractor shed, which is a thing, versus a horse or a chicken barn, which is a living thing, and to me should be totally different. But to the National Fire Protection Association, they all sort of fall into the same thing. Um, they're both fires, and in this case, we would prefer that they also involve a rescue component. The fire service doesn't do a lot of rescue components, um, and they per particularly don't do a lot of horse rescue. So you can imagine that most of your firefighters that show up aren't going to be trained in how to respond to an agricultural fire, and they're also not going to be trained in how to do large animal rescue. So that makes it a little bit difficult. And, but that's the other reason that we need to consider how can we do this from prevention side. So if you do some short Googling, you could find many horses being affected by barn fires anywhere. Um, we talk about these things in detail on our Technical Large Animal Emergency Rescue Facebook study group. And we post these things and talk about how we can do prevention and those kind of things. Sadly, it's always the same thing. You know, there's, there, it's usually an electrical thing. Um, it happens in vet clinics too. Again, a little Googling, you will find lots of places where horses have died. Um, they usually also lose their dogs and some goats and chickens and stuff too. So they can be pretty horrible. And when you talk to people after these things, it's just absolutely awful when you find out some of the things that happened. You know, you're looking back and you're like, okay, well, it was cold. So somebody put on a heat lamp and then they plugged it into a non-GCFI outlet. And you go, well, those are three things that I could have told you something might happen. So we got to get better at that. So what we're really here to do is we're going to talk a little bit about human factors, which is how we respond to things or how we think or fail to think about things. Um, I'm going to give you a lot of evidence-based information. There's not a whole heck of a lot that's been published about these kind of things. I have tried to do as much as I can through AAP, which is American Association of Equine Practitioners. I've tried to get some information out through them. Uh, I've tried to do quite a bit on social media, but it seems to me when I run into average horse people, they still don't know about some of the kinds of things about how to approach fires. And I'll tell you why. When I talk to people, the first thing they say is, well, what we should do is catch them and put a blindfold on them, right? And I'm like, no, no, you're a firefighter. You've never caught a horse in your entire life. And now you're gonna try to catch that, that thing in a barn with all this excitement going on, you're breathing like Darth Vader and it's already hard enough to catch a horse. Now you're gonna put a blindfold on it. Have you guys ever tried to put a blindfold on a horse? Does the horse actually lead with a blindfold? Some do, some don't. And so, you know, that just goes to show me that people get their education from TV and movies and it's usually not correct. Um, we're gonna talk a little bit about animal behavior and why that's so important to us and our safety trying to get something out of a barn fire. 
We're going to talk about welfare for both people and animals um, because it's about us too. And then doing some risk evaluations and what are the best practices. So I'm going to try to compress all that into one hour or less. <laughs> so uh, I don't know about you guys, but I could pull these kinds of pictures from just about any wildfire that occurs. And they all about look the same. It doesn't matter if it's Georgia or it's California or Canada. When these kinds of situations happen, uh, sadly, horses are running loose down the road. They're trying to load horses in the middle of the road. The fire truck's trying to drive around them. Uh, you notice, as Wendy and I were talking about earlier, almost every person, this is pre-COVID, this is 2017, and it makes my point. Um, everybody's got a mask on to try to protect their lungs. What about the horses? You know, they're, they don't have any protection. So what's gonna be the effect on them? You get them out, they look fine on the outside, but what's gonna happen in their lungs? Uh, I'm not a veterinarian, I'm a PhD, but I will suggest to you that if your horse has been exposed to smoke like this, it probably needs to go see a veterinarian and may need some prophylactic treatment. So the problem that I'm pointing out is they all look the same. We're making the same mistakes. We fail to evacuate. We don't know what's happening. Um, we don't have a shelter in place plan if it's, uh, you know, something else, uh, besides wildfire. For example, Wendy, you saw what was happening in, in Texas the last couple of weeks and it's awful because it doesn't usually get that cold in Texas, but could it? Yes. And of course it does. And, you know, I, I end up being the butthead cause I said, why don't you have, you got 62 horses and you don't have water for your horses. I don't understand that. That's your job. You know, you should have had a plan. And everybody's like, you just don't understand, Rebecca. And I go, why don't you have a backup plan and another backup plan? Those 62 horses depend on you. So we make the same mistakes as human beings over and over again. And part of it is failing to look around and realizing what could happen to us. And part of it is understanding, you know, it really can happen. And what is the worst case scenario? So Dr. Rebecca McConico, she's one of my peeps over in um, Louisiana. And she was at a conference and she said this. And they've been saying that for many, many years. You should have a plan for your local folks. Everybody should have a plan. If you got a big barn, you should have an evacuation plan and a shelter-in-place plan for all the different things that could happen. You live in California for earthquakes and wildfires and, you know, all the other things that could happen to you. If you live in Kansas, maybe you should have a tornado evacuation plan. Maybe you should have a shelter-in-place plan if you have a blizzard. Um but you should also dovetail that with what everybody else is doing around you. In other words, if everybody puts their horses on the trailer and is trying to get out of the canyon at the same time, you're going to end up stuck in traffic. So what are, what are, we, what are we really going to do? Um, and then, you know, planning is great, but I'd really like it to be a good plan. And I'm not making fun of these folks. They're doing the best they can. But that looks a lot like tennis shoes to me. And I'm betting that these horses have not been led down the road before. They're leaving early, which is great. But I would have liked to have seen these young ladies in these kinds of situations with a helmet on their head, with uh, protection on their feet that's a little bit better than that. And, you know, what's the worst case can happen? Is this a good plan? Uh, there's actually 17 people, Wendy, trying to load a horse in a trailer, if you count them up. And, and I'm betting, you know, that that two was too many, but 17 is really a lot. And the horse is like, dude, I can't get in there. What are you talking about? You're trying to force me in here. Somebody's gonna get hurt. Um, and that's why I'd really like to see a better plan. And some of that comes down to us as horse people. 
you know, we spend a lot of time, you know, get my horse to do a sliding stop and do a pee off and a pissed off and all those other things. But to me, that sucker should be catchable, leadable and loadable by anybody. And, and, and the funny thing I hear, and I know you've heard this, Wendy, is people say, only me, I'm the only one that can catch my horse. And I'm like, well, you're an idiot. Because if he's out there in the pasture and I can't catch him and we got to go, then he's going to stay and I hate it for you. So think about it that way and you start thinking, man, maybe that is important. Those are the kinds of skills that well, we'd like to see Rebecca, people have. One of the things to kind of add to that is that your horse is leadable off of bicycles, golf carts. You know, <laughs> That's cart. right. I mean, I have led my horses off of bicycles and golf carts and That's they right. lead um, because right. you're going to get out with whatever you got. That's right. You're Exactly. So what I always tell people is it's uh, it's trailer math. So do you have four horses and two horses on two, two horse trailer? Um, so that's two trips, right? So you got to leave really early for the first two and then come back for the other two, assuming you can, especially in wildfire situations. Um, and there's many, if you talk to people that are in some of these situations that are awful, they didn't have time uh, to go back for the second, second load. The, in paradise happening like 18 minutes. It was ridiculous. So you just don't have time. Um, but then the second thing is, you know, thinking ahead to what would I do if that happened and I did have to walk them out? You know, do I know how to lead my horse? Do I know how to lead my horse even on the side of the road with traffic going by? Has he been in those kinds of situations? So absolutely, you're right. And I will tell you that this is not a plan. So we see this quite often in many different kinds of disasters. It just happens to be a wildfire, but we see it in hurricanes. We see it in lots of things. And that's not really an evacuation plan because your horse in his entire life has never been welcome to just leave, walk down the street and try to find his own grass and his own water and his own safety. And what they do is they fall into things, they get trapped in wire, they get burned. It's, it's absolutely awful. So we got to come up with some better planning. And if that means that you got to spend some money to get FireWise, which is um, some of the things that the National Fire Protection Association has been trying to cultivate so that you don't have to worry about your place burning to the ground, then maybe that's what we need to do. And that just comes down to homework. That, that comes down to actually thinking it through sitting down with a firefighter, sitting down with somebody who's been through an actual wildfire. One of your friends on Facebook somewhere has been through this. Sit down with them and say, hey, what was it really like? Explain to me what it was really like, because I read it in the newspaper, but I don't think I really understand. And you talk to people in Australia, and Wendy, I know you've been there a lot. You know, It's a sobering experience to talk to them because you go there in, in a catastrophic fire season, and they've got all their stuff in the trailer. The truck is hitched. It's fueled and it's pointed down the driveway and with the back doors open because they're like, we got five minutes, we got to load horses and we're gone. Yeah. And uh, that's really what it's like in some of these situations. So, you know, depending on the threat to you and we even get wildfires in Georgia, they're not usually like they are in, in California. They don't move as fast, but they can be pretty terrifying. So does everybody know the plan? Do you have a communication plan? Um, you know, are you watching the, the fire weather? People, a lot of people don't know there's even fire weather sites. Um, you know, do you have your routes planned out? Because if they start blocking roads because of fire, then your evacuation route, turning around a big horse trailer is no fun as we all know. So, you know, what are our evacuation routes? What's current? Those kind of things. And that just comes down to communication and practicing. Do you know how long it takes you to actually do it, to actually hitch? to actually load your horses 
and then to drive to a location, whether it's a friend's barn or to another state where you're going to have to do these things. What, how much time does it actually take? And of course, when you know, when, whenever we're doing something and we're stressed, it takes longer because we're stressed and our brains are doing this and it's, it's another human factor. Very stra- stressful. Well, and the horses but this is a good example. This person, go, go ahead. What? The horses feed off the stress even if they don't recognize the danger, right? So you've just told them. <laughs> exactly right. So this is an example of using FireWise. You know, these people did a pre-fire season burn. They saved their property and their barn and everything else. Um, I don't think most people are going to go to this extreme, but obviously it made the difference when the actual wildfire came through, they were able to save their place. And uh, that, that had to be absolutely terrifying either way. But, um, you know, it, it comes down how, how far, what, how good is our plan? Um, a lot of people probably watched what happened at San Luis Rey uh, a few years ago. They lost a lot of horses. They had three people that were very severely burned um, trying to save animals. They were heroes. They were trying to get these animals out. But the fire was actually two miles away, and it was dropping the cinders and the brands into the area where the horses are. And, of course, since this is a racetrack, most of the horses were on straw, which is highly combustible, and people don't realize that. And that's really what started the fire. Uh, they they tried to blame it on the palm fronds, but I promise you it wasn't just the palm fronds. It was also landing in the hay. So uh, that's a horrific loss. And then, of course, they were trying to evacuate, and horse people saw it on social media, so they were trying to show up, and the evacuation plan just failed. Um, this is another one uh, where, you know, again, we're always trying to balance that thing of security and safety for our horses. Nobody wants to have their horse stolen. But the animal control and some people actually got to this facility, the gates were locked and they were unable to be removed and they lost a lot of horses. And that's just awful. You know, that's the total evacuation plan fail. So I know that we have to balance those things depending on where you live, how secure your facility needs to be and how valuable your horses are. Uh, Insurance often has some requirements for those kind of things. And I understand that, but we got to balance that under certain conditions. Uh, Under catastrophic fire conditions, maybe you should take the locks off. Um, anyway, so sadly, this is what we see. This is an old, old picture, uh, but it still makes the point. Everything that's combustible has burned, and the only thing that's left is anything metal. Um, when you talk to firefighters, when you talk to people who actually do this for a living, emergency responders, and you ask them about barn fires, what I usually ask them is say, hey, how many of you guys have responded to a barn fire? And about half of them will raise their hand, and I'll say, how many of you actually were able to get any of the animals out? And a few will actually raise their hand and say, hey, we were able to get a few goats out or horses or whatever. Um, and I say, okay, how many of you saved the barn? And none of them raise their hand. It's a stacked bet. There's no way, if, if as fast as these things burn, as much stuff is in a barn, it's a stacked bet you're going to lose the facility. And, and that's the part that we're really going to talk about in detail today so you guys understand it. So we already have a fundamental issue. We put animals in these, in these places that basically is a cage, and we only have one exit. Now, Wendy, do you only have one exit from your house? No. Exactly. Two exits from my house. Three doors. Three, doors, three exits. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And probably that's from awesome. most people. From most people's bedrooms, they usually have two exits. It's, it's, it may or may not be true, but for some people, they may only have one, but usually you have two. And so people tend to think about, well, I've got exits at the end of the barn. Well, the end of the barn is 50 feet away. 
And that becomes a long distance to run when you're trying to move a lot of horses. So that's one of the things we're going to talk about. And then I look at this picture and I go, well, that's a $10 cheapo box fan. And we know those Lasco fans have had several recalls because they start fires. And it's on an extension cord, which an extension cord is only intended for monitored use. In other words, you plug it in and you use a saw or you use clippers and then you unplug it. A no, people don't understand. An extension cord is temporary only and it should be supervised. And that tells you that they don't expect it to last. So take those extension cords, cut them up in pieces and get an electrician into your barn and put that stuff in hardware and replace some of your fans. I'll show you some examples of that. So part of the other reason that we have challenges in the horse industry with fires is that we are horse people and we listen to horse people. And most of those horse people haven't been educated by ventilation engineers, structural engineers, firefighters, um, veterinarians. So when it comes to fire, who would we like to talk to? A firefighter. So why are we talking to horse people when we're building a barn and we're thinking about fire? I don't know, but that's what we do. So there's a lot of resources out there through the National Fire Protection Association about how we should be doing some of these things. But honestly, Wendy, you know, for many of us, how do we build our barns? We get the barn building book from Lowe's or Home Depot and we build a barn. Um, it's agricultural. In many places, you don't even have to have a building permit to do some of these things or it's not really, they're not serious about the building permit. So we get ourselves in trouble and I call it old wives tales and it's the lies that we tell each other you know put a halter and a lead rope right outside your horse's um, stall and we'll somehow magically let the firefighters get them out and that's not how it works so this picture is one of my horses who's very patient and this is fake smoke and we were doing a demonstration to show them how long it actually takes to catch horses in an emergency situation and lead them out of a barn and that is a great practice for any of you guys time it just start outside the barn with one or two people, run in the barn, grab each horse individually and bring them out and put them in a paddock or have people hold them and see how long it takes you to actually evacuate your entire barn. And you'll notice that it takes a lot longer than you think it does. So part of the thing that I want you guys to get out of today is that fire doesn't care. It doesn't have emotions. It just wants to feed itself. And what it feeds itself is on anything combustible. Combustible means things like hay, straw, wood. What do we have in barns? Hay, straw, wood. And then people say, well, I've got a metal barn. And I go, well, did you know that the metal will actually bend at a lower temperature than the wood will catch on fire? And they go, I didn't know that. I know, because it's lightweight um, steel construction. It allows these beautiful barns with light, nice big spaces, but it's still sensitive to fire. To the fire service, when we start talking about response time, that's the other thing that as horse people we don't understand. Response time for the fire service is when they get to 911 and they show up with the first apparatus, the first fire truck shows up. Not the first firefighter, because often they'll show up in their personal vehicle, but it's when the first fire apparatus shows up. When that first apparatus gets there, they don't just put on their gear and run into your barn. There's a whole bunch of things they've got to do. They've got to make sure that the pump is working. They usually will pull off a hose. They will do a 360, walk around to the barn and see if there's anything like barbecue grills, uh, propane tanks, uh, septic tanks, all the other things that could happen uh, that, that could be dangerous to them. 
Um, and they're also going to be trying to get people who may be running into that barn in the smoke and try to get them out. At some point, they will attack the fire, but the point is it's more important that they get situational awareness of what's actually going on. Where is the fire actually, you know, smoke may not be where the fire is. And then, of course, to the fire, um, if you're trying to suppress the fire, in other words, knock it down, you got to start doing that at the moment of fire ignition. And that is going to double the size of the fire, usually doubles about every 30 seconds. So what that means is it's a lot faster than the firefighters can even respond to. And that's why we see the problems that we're going to see that I'm going to show you. So one of the best ones that I have um, been lucky enough to work with, uh, a young lady named Krista Zayek. She's up in Illinois. She had this barn fire a couple years ago, and she had done a lot of work in her barn. It was a scary barn. She's a firefighter, so she knows how these things can be dangerous. She had cameras inside the barn. She had done some screenshots of when the lightning storm, pretty scary storm, uh, actually hit her barn. So I pulled all this information working with her. 831 is dark already, very close lightning strikes. She goes straight to the farm to check. It's pouring rain at that point. She calls 911 while she's running out the driveway. In the flashes of the lightning, she can see some smoke coming out of the barn. So she runs in, grabs the horses out of the barn. She's trying to call 911 at the same time. Um, fortunately, she was able to get all three horses out of the barn. The time we call a non-survivable atmosphere, in other words, no horse, no dog, no person is going to be able to breathe in there, was less than 17 minutes. Um, the roof implosion was at 9.02, which is exactly 32 minutes. So I'll show you what she actually did. This is her just a couple of minutes after the lightning strike. There's already, you can see, sort of the smearing of smoke inside the building. She's grabbing the horses and walking them out. If you look through the windows of that um, garage door there, it's going to look very different in a couple of minutes. So this is screenshots from her video of the fire. And what you'll notice is it's dark, but she was able to get these, these via video grab. There's already superheated smoke and no survivable space by 848. The hit happened at 831. So there's nothing alive inside that building. Just a minute or so later, you have the superheated smoke catches. It has ignition temperature and it catches on fire. And at 853, it's burning severely and the entire roof is going to implode here in a second. That's the last of the roof standing at 9.02 and the roof totally falling in um, that same minute. So what we mean by that is this was just a couple of minutes before. I mean, if you've got a big barn, you don't have 30 minutes to get those horses out of there. You gotta go fast. So overall, when did the fire department arrive? two minutes after implosion of the barn. And that's not their fault. I'm a member of a volunteer fire department. And I will tell you that by the time we get the 911 call and get all the information that we need from the 911 call, and then we get in the truck, drive to your location, find your location. Um, many people don't even have a reflective sign at the road, so we can't find it in the dark. And people say, well, my barn is burning. Surely you can find it. Well, yeah, but there's six different driveways. We can't tell which one in the dark goes to your barn. So all those kinds of things, and, and they finally arrive at 9.04, just enough to watch the, the roof implode. So that is not the Rural Fire Service's fault. 
It just means that this is moving so fast that you've got to have a plan. You've got to do the prevention. If response is your plan, it's not going to work for you. And Wendy, sadly, you know, this is the thing that I ended up, end up doing a lot. After these fires, I actually had, uh, there was a big fire in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, two weeks ago. And I, my, my niece actually happened to live there. She had to go over and talk to the people this week for me. And, um, you know, when I talk to people about these kind of things, what they tell me is, I didn't know that, that we should have had a better detector. I didn't know that there was prevention. Um, sprinklers, I know, I would love it for sprinklers. If you live in Florida, you can probably get sprinklers. The problem for sprinklers, even though the cost has reduced, the problem for sprinklers is if they're in unprotected areas to environmental conditions such as cold, it's really hard to do. It's not impossible, but it does make it more important. But when I talk to these people, they go, man, I wish I'd known. And I go, there's resources. We need to get you some resources so that when you rebuild, you're not doing the same old thing. And that's where I get, I get frustrated. So this is Liz and her horse, who was the horse that was being led out, led out of that barn. And when Krista sent me these, she said, yeah, we did some survivor photos. And I said, what's, I didn't know what a survivor photo is. And I was like, what's that? She said, well, we didn't even lose a single horse, but my boarders were so upset when they got my text or my phone call. And I was like, hey, the barn's on fire. We got the horses out, you gotta come. And can you imagine, I've talked to Liz, her, experience of being the person getting in the car driving to the barn seeing the smoke and the flame and the barn is gone and hoping beyond all hope that your horse really has been taken out of the barn you can imagine that's a really emotional experience for her and um you know when you talk to these people it it makes me motivated to try to get this information out to people so uh, i'm going to talk a little game of what do you see when you look in a barn uh, a lot of people, and Wendy, I'm sure you've had the same experience. We go to a barn, they want to show me our horses, and they want to tell me who's out of who, and this one's worth a half a million dollars, and all those things. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. That, that's really nice. And meanwhile, I'm taking pictures of the superstructure, and how did you do your uh, electrical, and how did you do your fans, and what's the lighting situation? Do you have natural lighting, and what's the spacing in the barn, and everything else? And, and people are like, did you hear what I said? And I'm like, I'm oh, sorry, I'm just interested in the barn. <laughs> so what I'm looking for is, is it to a code? Um, in many places, they're not held to a code because barns are agricultural facilities and many states don't have any requirements for that. NFPA 150 has some recommendations and best practices, but again, it's a code that we usually don't go for um, just because it's an agricultural facility. If you own a veterinary clinic, you may be held to that code. But usually what it means is you've got to have the electrical and conduit. You've got to have an electrician put in the electrical. You should have stall doors to the inside, stall doors to the outside. You should have egress for people every 50 feet down through the barn aisle. All these things that a lot of people are like, huh, I've never heard of that before. And that's where we get ourselves in trouble. So I encourage people, have a fire department come out and walk around your barn. They don't have to be experts at horses. They need to be able to make recommendations for, for, to you about safe fans, safe electrical, um, and other resources for you to give you a better idea of what it would be like to have a fire in your barn. And usually that's a pretty good motivator, Wendy, for, for folks. So 
uh, if anybody from this fire is on here, they're probably going to think I'm a butthead. And I'm not trying to be a butthead. But what I do is I follow up after these things. And sadly, I sent these folks an email and I never got anything back. But they had some people at the facility when the fire occurred. And I looked at this and I said, how did they lose 18 horses and only rescue five if they had some people there? You know, how did this progress? And then I went to the Facebook and I looked at their barn. This is before the barn fire. And I, I look around and I'm like, my fire chief would never let a person in our fire department walk down that barn aisle. There's so many obstacles. It's only about four feet wide. You got to imagine these guys are in their gear. Usually the electrical has popped out or they've turned it off to, to, to slow the fire. They can't see very well. You can't hear very well. You're breathing like Darth Vader walking down through this and you bump into these obstacles that could block your ability to get back out and kill a human. We're not going to do it. And that's the sad truth. All these stall doors point to the inside. Why do we do that? In the horse industry, it's for convenience. Stall doors to the outside are a pain in the butt. You know, mud gets behind the door. Ice gets behind the door. All those things. But it is the only legitimate way to get an animal out of a situation like this where you're not going to allow somebody down the barn aisle. And the worst thing is that, that door at the other end is not a door. It's blocked. And that is not allowed by any code because it prevents human egress as well as horses. So I don't know who was the barn manager for this facility. I feel very sorry for the folks that lost their horses in this barn fire. But when I look back at these kind of photos, I go, does anybody see a single fire extinguisher anywhere there? Does anybody see um, fans and, and all this kind of, those are the sins that we make time and time again um, in these kinds of situations. So even nice facilities, it happens too. I've actually been to this facility. The woman that owns this place, she has a top class facility. It was well-maintained. They've worked with in, their um, insurance folks. Um, you can tell they're doing all the right things. They've got paddocks separated from the main barn. They've got their trailer storage not in the main barn. They've got their the huge propane tank away from the barn by code. They're managing all their manure away from the facility. Basically, what's in the barn is horses, and that's it, except for a little area where they were doing washing and drying of their laundry for the horses. And sadly, that's where the, the incident happened. But there's access around the facility. Everything has been well done. So let's do our little game of do you see what I see? Um, taking a look at this. So I'm a firefighter pulling up in a truck to this barn. And the first thing I see is what looks like a living space above the barn. And of course, firefighters are going to be very concerned that there might be people. In this case, it's fake. There's not actually a living facility up there, thank goodness. Um, but you can imagine that they would be very concerned about that. Green circles are good things, okay, where you have lots of egress, multiple areas of the barn. Um, they did not have barn egress halfway down. So it's a long barn, and, and that would be a huge challenge. You got to think about some of you guys are probably really young and you can run 50 feet like that. I used to be able to do that. But as I get older, I don't know about you, Wendy, but I'm speculating that most people over 50 just don't run as fast as they did when they were 20. And then what happens if you have a therapeutic facility and you've got children that are in a, in a wheelchair? What about children that can't, you know, they're in a stroller or whatever? 
what are the access things? And that's why we want more egress for people as well as for animals. So where's the closest hydrant? You know, do they have hay and bedding storage? In this case, because I've gone to that barn, I know that their hay and bedding storage was separate from this facility. The only thing that was in that barn was what they were using today, which is limiting the fuel source. Um, but those are the kinds of things I look at. This is actually laid out pretty well. A uh, lot of ventilation, a lot of, of good lighting. Uh, they do have a very low ceiling, and that can be frustrating from the perspective of smoke, simply because the smoke can catch underneath that low ceiling and it starts to lower from that point instead of going higher in the barn. I know why they did it, and that was to try to keep it warmer in the barn because this is Canada and it was very cold. Um, I asked questions like, you know, where are your fire extinguishers? How many fire extinguishers do you have? If you only have five pound fire extinguishers, you're not going to put out very much with that. You really need the 10 and 20 pounders. Um, you know, there's all kinds of obstacles here, but at least the obstacles are against one wall. So they're not as significant as they would have been in that other building. And in Canada, it's hard to justify a sprinkler system. So very, very difficult to do. Uh, on the outside, very nicely done facility, xeric landscaping. So you don't have a lot of things that will catch. Um, but the problem is no access to the outside wall. And of course, the night of the fire, because it was extremely cold, they had closed up the barn and it basically made a space where it just held the smoke and there was, there was nothing to, to uh, save by the time anybody realized there was actually a fire. So this happened back in 2016. Um, you know, dryer malfunctions, electrical, and it moved through the barn. And basically by the time the flames exteriorized and somebody realized there was a fire, it was too late. Uh, there was nothing saved. And the lady that had um, owned this place she had had the insurance company actually do a walkthrough about a month before. So she was doing all the right things and she still lost this facility. But I will tell you, she's got a tattoo on her leg that she put there for those 43 horses. And when she rebuilt this, she had insurance and she had me and she had a whole bunch of other people that came back there. And she said, what do I have to do to minimize this? And there is only a few electrical outlets in that barn. And now, the electrical shuts off at the time they normally shut down the barn at 8 o'clock at night. The electrical shuts off and nobody can turn it back on. So if you want to clip your horse after five o'clock, after 8 o'clock at night, too bad. You're not going to be able to do it. So she has gotten a little extreme with that. But then again, I don't blame her for, for having had this experience. So what did her barn look like after all that heat? This is why it's so dangerous to consider running down interior barn aisles. You can see that all the heat has collected in this area above the barn. And then what happens is it causes the structural uh, metal or if it's wood, it eventually burns enough that it burns through and it fails. And it falls down into that interior aisle, which is where you or a firefighter might be if you were trying to quote rescue horses. And that's why it's so dangerous. Um, very, very difficult to deal with. And that's why we tell people stay out of these barns. The other comments I want to make is she had plenty of access for firefighters to get to her area. It was really, really cold. They were having all kinds of problems with ice and snow and, and those kind of things to get there in time anyway. Um, having that pre-plan, she already had a pre-plan and they still weren't able to save this facility. So again, we got to do a lot more prevention to, to prevent these kinds of things. The other thing I want you guys to understand since we talked about running or theoretically running, 
is this is another facility that had a barn fire. And I want you guys to think through, you know, those are estimated lengths of these facilities. This is the way most people lay out their place. And so if you had to go get a horse out of a stall and then run 40 meters down the barn aisle and then 40 meters out to the gate, what would that actually look like? It would take you, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds to catch a horse. The first horse is easy. After you start getting excited, everybody else is going to be a little harder. You catch him in a stall, you run down the barn aisle, you take him out in the paddock, you kick him out in the paddock. What happens if you don't close the gate behind you? They all run back in the barn. It's not because they're stupid. It's because that's where they get fed and that's where their buddies are and they're going to be running around like, like idiots having fun and uh, terrified and that's not fun. So what that means is you've got to run back to the other stall and catch the next horse. So what that means in firefighter math is one person, 18 horses. I'm going to speculate it would take you 36 minutes. And this is why I want you guys that are watching to go home and do this with one or two people. Time it. How long does it actually take you to do this whole process? And if you've got 18 people there to stand and hold horses as you bring them out of the barn, great. But usually you don't. So you need to go to the paddock, put them in the paddock. And I know what some of y'all are thinking is, I'm not tossing her horse out with that horse because they're never together. And I know that one's going to kill that one. So maybe you have some limitations there. What is your plan? How would you handle that? I can't tell you the best way to handle that. I'll just tell you that nobody ever practices these things. And when they do practice, is there a chance something can get, a, get hurt? Of course. But when you're going to practice is under real conditions. And that's when it's awful. So you can imagine, Wendy, if you had two people, maybe 18 minutes. But I tell you, if I'm one of the two, I'm going to be sucking wind if I have to run for 18 minutes, running with a horse next to me and running back and forth between barns. It, it, it's that's really hard to consider doing. OK, well, while you're also calling 911 at the same time. You know, that I mean, I take all three horses out at once. They are used to all going out at once. I have a grumpy one that grumps at the other two, but they all go, oh, God, she's biting at me again. But they all lead. I can lead multiple horses and boy, I can see a real value. Another in skill. Another skill. That's exactly right. So to me, my speculation was 36 minutes. That's way too long. There's no way that they're going to do. So I talked to the fire chief that actually responded to this barn. And that's his picture. The seven minute picture is after the fire department um, got the, the tone out. Now, you got to understand when people call 911, it still takes a minute or two or maybe three to get the information, tone out the fire department, and then they go from there. So that's probably, I'm speculating, about seven minutes after the fire actually started, assuming they called 911 immediately. So 10 minutes. And what do we say about 36 minutes? You don't have 36 minutes. You got five minutes. Because if you look at that picture, you'll notice that most of what's burning in that picture is the smoke which means there's so much smoke inside that barn, there's a non-survivable space. A person or a horse inside that barn is not going to survive. They may be alive when they come out, but they're going to have so much damage to their lungs that they're not going to survive. And that other picture is three minutes later. And the entire thing is just fully involved in flames, and there's the whole thing is getting ready to fall in. They didn't get a single horse out of the barn, Wendy. There was five people in the barn. So what does that tell me that, that happened? I mean, these things are awful, but five people panicked. Five people didn't know how to use a fire extinguisher. Five people didn't know what to do 
And so they ran around doing whatever they did. And apparently there was also a language issue, but that's okay. It doesn't matter that you, if somebody speaks outer Slovakian, I don't care. They should know how to call 911. And that is where the problem comes in. And uh, just an awful thing to lose every single one of those horses because they didn't have a plan. So, so the challenge is, and can we go ahead. Can you go back to what that facility looked like before the fire? Because I have a question. Yes. This yes. makes me want to ask a question. Um, the covered arena is attached to the main barn. The main barn's a huge long main barn. Now, I actually personally can't stand them because you're walking forever. But it, um, mm -hmm. does this sort of lend the idea that you are much better off with a detached covered arena and smaller, two smaller barns rather than one gigantic barn? So one of the considerations in NFPA 150, the code is that you should not have a barn bigger than 5,000 square feet. If you need something bigger than 5,000 square feet, you should build a second barn for that exact reason. It makes it easier to rescue animals, all those kind of things. And the part that really scares people is the recommendation for any life safety code is that really every single facility, like your garage from your house should be 50 feet away. Now, why do people put garages closer? Because convenience, right? But your covered arena should be at least 50 feet away. And when you see a barn burning like this, 50 feet, that thing is probably still gonna catch. So 50 yeah. feet seems like a lot until you have an actual fire. So you're exactly right. So we call that compartmentalizing. There's a lot of recommendations in how to do that in an FPA that I, I, I'm gonna send you some stuff to send out to people um, okay. after this. But you're exactly right. That covered arena should be detached. It should be at least 50 feet away. That would give you some options um, as well. And we're going to call talk about a runout plan in a second because you're already on it. You've already figured that out. So when you get a horse out of a fire, if you get them out of the fire, you should immediately have a veterinarian there because the just like we were talking about wildfires, the injury is often not to the external part of the animal, is the part where they have inhaled something. Particularly if they get a little excited, they start to elevate their heads into the column of smoke and the heat, and uh, they're gonna do all that damage to their lungs. So call of that, this is a good example. Dr. Chris Bell up in Manitoba did a really nice job with this fire. This was a, a heater core block for a tractor or something that caught on fire, and it had a huge amount of plastic nasty smoke that went through the barn. The barn had been closed in because it was cold. And a lot of these horses were sucking some of this stuff into their lungs. And they took it very seriously. They showed up with oxygen. They put the horses on fluids and oxygen and, and prophylactic treatment, but they still had a couple of horses that had to have intensive treatment because these are performance horses. And they, um, you know, Wendy, you know better than me, a performance horse that, that has a lung injury is just went from a huge value to no value very quickly. So uh, take these things very seriously. It's amazing to me how many times people will have something like this and they say, oh, the horses escaped and they look great. And I go, well, did you have a veterinarian look at these horses to make sure they didn't have a lung injury? Oh, I didn't think about that. And usually the sneaky thing about lung injuries is they show up about two or three days later. So they look fine for a day or so and you're thinking, yay, we got away with it and then they start to have the problem. So go ahead and get a veterinarian out if you have any kind of a barn fire or smoke exposure or heat. Uh, this just happens to be a veterinary clinic. Um, in this case, uh, at 
Colorado State University, but I, I just want to mention, you know, we are talking about businesses. We run businesses. We have breeding businesses. We have training businesses. And you've got to think about your business resumption and continuity planning too. If you lose that facility or you lose someone else's horses in your facility, can you get sued? Of course you can. Anybody can sue you. I'm not a lawyer either, but I'll just tell you that think about fire when you're talking about your boarding contracts and all those kind of things. You know, um, how, how do you handle that? Talk to a lawyer. But, uh, you know, this is the worst case scenario. This client sued. Uh, for $1 million, and that was not even for a live horse. It was just semen sitting in a tank somewhere that she lost, and um, it went all the way to the Supreme Court of Appeals. So think about your business resumption. I know it's normally, windy. we're just talking about how much we love the horses and we want to save the horses, but you also have to be able to survive, and you have to be able to have the insurance for your facility and those kind of things. So what are you doing to make sure that you're um, not having problems there? How many horses were in the facility? Uh, I'm not sure that they had any horses that were impacted at the actual time they got the horses out, but they lost that entire wing of the facility that where they had the semen and, and the laboratory and stuff. So just scary. Yeah. And that's at a university where, you know, they've usually got uh, much better fire suppression and those kind of things. Yeah. And it's an urban environment. So you would expect them to be able to get the fire department there a lot quicker. So um, this is NFPA 150. It's a government document. It, I'm actually on the technical committee for this, and it's boring as heck to read, but I will tell you that there's a lot of suggestions in there, and I will send this information to you, too, about how to handle combustibles, how to prevent, you know, you shouldn't have any flammables in a barn, uh, how you do your ventilation, uh, thinking about compartmentalization, smaller barns instead of bigger barns, um, and then things like flame retardants and suppression systems and stuff like that. But NFPA will tell you that the average animal barn is fully involved in less than 15 minutes and you really need to get them out in five. Otherwise, you're going to have all those problems with the toxic smoke and that kind of stuff. Uh, you can That's read NFPA 150. The fire started and if and so often, you know, like a lightning strike, you're not there or, you know, you don't realize it until. It's like those people that had the, um, the, 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 the pig that was getting ready to have the baby and they had an online camera. And people were watching just because they wanted to see the baby pigs born. And just by luck, there was a video. Somebody was watching the video live and they realized that there was a fire that had started. The pig knocked the, the heat lamp into the however she did it. And they're like online Googling for the people's phone number to say, hey, there's a fire in the pig stall. And they managed to get the pig out in time. Thank goodness. But you're right. You know, that that's just sort of one of those crazy things. So. Let's go back to prevention. So I've scared the heck out of all you guys. You're never gonna sleep at night. You're never gonna put your horses in a stall anymore. I'm just eating, okay? Um, it shouldn't be that way. But what you should do is start walking around. And Wendy, some of the places that are the scariest is some of these show facilities, because then you're, you know, whoever's next to you in their stall with whatever they're doing and whatever they've got in their stall could affect your horse. So, you know, um, you walk around a facility and you see the these kind of things, this is what we're looking for. You know, conduit, the appropriate electrical panels. They look like they're clean and they're, somebody's doing the right thing. Um, all the lighting looks like it's done to code. Um, you don't have to be an electrical inspector to tell when something's dumb. This is dumb, okay? Uh, why are, why, I don't know why we use these $10 box fans. They're, they're notorious for these problems and they're always on an extension cord. The appropriate fan is a UL 507 compliant fan. It should have a closed housing on the back. 
and it's not 10 bucks. It's probably going to be about 150 bucks. Um, however, they're easier to clean. They don't have the problems with all the little fines and dust and stuff getting in there and causing a fire. They still need to be cleaned and blown out with a little air thing once in a while, but um, they, are no, they are a lot less notorious than these cheapo box fans. And the problem with box fans is usually they're associated with an extension cord just like this. So, um, again, you don't have to be an electrical engineer to, to figure out that those are dumb. This is an example of what a 507 compliant fan looks like. It's got a closed housing on the back. Um, in this case, this facility has redone their electrical to make it up to date. And Wendy, there are so many people, they go and get a new barn, it's new to them, not built, but new to them. And they walk in, they go, click, yay, the lights work. And I guess they think that that's an electrical inspection. That's not an electrical inspection. There's a lot of barns that are 20, 30, 40 years old, and it's got the same wiring it's been in it for the last 20, 30, 40 years. Nobody's updated it because it's agricultural. They don't have to. It's all grandfathered in. And people are like, oh, well, I spent $100,000 buying this place. I don't want to spend two grand on an electrical inspection. And I'm like, well, that $2,000 that you spend on an electrical inspection and an upgrade of your facility might save your facility. And they're like, oh, well, maybe I have to consider doing that. Uh, call a professional. I'm not the electrical engineer. I'm not an electrician. But I know when I walk, walk in some of these places, I don't need to be because I can tell it's done in a pretty poor manner. So what we're trying to get to is, you know, these are pretty high-end facilities here, but they've done it right. They've got big fire extinguishers. They've even got the, you know, hey, this is an exit for people. Um, and, and people say, well, Rebecca, you know, it's just a barn. And I go, it's your horse's house. It's your job to provide a place for them that you know is not going to burn to the ground. So. Some of the things that FPA will tell you is build a separate facility for your shavings and your hay and your sh all that stuff. Anything that's combustible should be in a separate place. And I know for those of you that live where it's god awful cold, muddy, rainy, all those things, snow and ice, that you guys don't want to have to walk 50 feet to move all this stuff. I know that's difficult, and I'm sorry. Bring in a couple of days worth, but limit it. If you knew that to the fire service, what they do when they look at a 75-pound square bale like that, Wendy, they will tell you that that's like stacking five-gallon cans of diesel right there. Same thing. 75-pound bale is equivalent BTU-wise to five gallons of diesel. Wow. So you've got, I don't know, 150 five-gallon can, cans of diesel there. If you put that many cans of diesel there, people would panic. They'd be like, oh, my God. Well, what's funny is inside the appropriate can, it's not going to catch on fire. <laughs> so it's actually safer than the hay. So how can we prevent the ignition problems? Where the ignition problems come, they come from lightning. They come from cigarettes butts that are flicked out. They come out, they come from somebody brings back the rotary mower and it's got some heat in the system and causes a fire. Lots of things can cause fire, but our biggest game is to keep those ignition sources away from the barn in the first place. Um, how do we, ha do we have accessibility all around the parking in front of the barn is one of the most dangerous things you can do because the fire truck can't get there and you don't have egress and those kind of things. Um, sadly, what I tell people, you know, they say, well, I board my horse. There's nothing I can do about it. And I go, well, can you get the stall door on the outside, the furthest one out there? And they go, well, that one's more expensive. I bet it is because it's easier to get the horse out of. I'm just saying that's the priority spot. You get a better chance of getting that horse out that's on the very end than you do from something that's further down inside the barn. So uh, sadly, you know, if that's your most valuable animal, maybe that's where it ought to be.
Um, these are just some examples that aren't quite so fancy. I love this. Great ventilation. Uh, they've got secondary access to the outside wall. In this one, the horse can make a choice. Does it want to be in or does it want to be out? I know that's easy to say when they live in Georgia. And a lot of people say, oh, I can't do this in, in places where there's snow and ice. You can. It just, there's some other things that we need to do too, right? Um, I love secondary access where you have a, a door. You can kick the horse out into the paddock, shut the door while the burn is burning, and then you can put a halter on him and lead him out to wherever. That's part of a run out problem, uh, access. But uh, there may be some better ways to do that. Uh, here's some examples. This is pretty fancy, but uh, this gal, they went to one of my classes and, and then they went and made some changes. And they spent 500 grand on four barns and Mrs. Mars' home, but they did it. They put in firewalls. So that lower area, which looks like a hotel to me, is protected from the living space above with, by a two-hour firewall. So that's what you have to do to try to prevent the moving of fire. Um, they redid their electrical. They took out all the lacquer and paint and varnishes that make these barns so pretty and put in fire-resistant stuff. Uh, they did training for their employees. They brought the big fire extinguishers. They actually did put in the sprinkler systems in the living areas because the living areas can be maintained at a normal temperature. Uh, that's a living area. That's the upper level of the same barn. You can see the living area in the back and everything. There's a sprinkler system. They've put everything in conduit. There's um, just about a week's worth of hay that's held in the barn instead of filling that entire space with hay now. They only put in as much as they're going to use in a week, so they're limiting their fire load. They did a whole bunch of things to try to change this. They also, Wendy, the question is always smoke detectors. Um, the ones that you get from Walmart, they don't work. You're wasting your money, and the batteries go, and they, they get tripped up by the humidity and the fines yeah. and dust and all those things. But it doesn't mean that it's impossible to put in a detector. What it means is you have to hire someone to come in and put uh, raterized thermal detectors or something that is relevant for your where you live in your environmental situation to be able to sense that there's a problem in the first place. And it's not going to be 40 bucks. I'm, I'm telling you it's going to be more expensive. But these days, you can even have it go to your phone to warn you. You can have hardwired to the fire department so that they show up in, in a little bit better time, all those kind of things. It's always possible. It's just a question of whether or not um, we are willing to invest the time and effort to do it. Here's another example, a pretty extreme example. I work with NYPD up in Manhattan. And, you know, they're up on the third floor of a building, and they did it. So, again, they're doing the same things. Firewalls, limited amount of hay. They put in the thermal detectors, uh, raterized thermal detectors. They've got sprinkler systems in, in the heated spaces and electrical and conduit. So it can be done. I admit that they have a lot more money than most of us. However, they also have a very extreme situation where they keep their horses and they've been able to mitigate the problems. So bottom line, let's get down to the real bottom line here. When you guys do this practice and you run in and you try to put a halter and lead rope on your horses, you're going to find out how long it takes you to actually get them out of the barn. And if you do it while you're running and you're excited and all those things and try to simulate, you'll find that the horses don't respond like they usually do. So what you really need, instead of trying to do that or trying to get firefighters to catch horses, which is difficult to do, you really need a predefined runout plan, which means... You've got to think ahead of time so you can open or close a few gates and force the animals to go one way and get out to a paddock or a pasture. And there's a lot of places that aren't laid out for that. 
And why do I say that? Because we practice with firefighters and when firefighters go in to try to catch the horse, they usually don't do what Tornado did in this picture, which is every barn I go in burns. So it's fake smoke, not real. But okay, I'll come to the door and let the firefighter catch me. Who's breathing like Darth Vader, smells funny, looks funny, and most horses have never seen anything like that, okay? This is the reality. These are some firefighters in pitch dark trying to find the halter and figure out how to open the door. They can't see very well. It's pitch dark in there. They've never caught a horse before in their entire life. They're trying to figure out halter. Oh my God, how does this work? We set them up for failure and videotaped it, okay? But that's the reality of how this would happen. It took them 12 minutes to catch the first horse and get it out. And, and that's the reality of it. It's very difficult to do and you're not gonna get it done. And they're just like looking at things and, and where's this board and how to do the latch. And, and actually what's funny is that in the background, you can see the one horse is like sniffing the guy, like, what are you doing? <laughs> Which is an unusual horse. So this is what it looks like when we do these practices. And what we find is it takes so long to individually catch and lead. Um, and it's not even pitch dark in there. That's fake smoke for these horses, folks. What we find is it's so much easier to just do a run out plan. You open the stall door and let them run. Of course, it's the firefighters that are gonna have to do this because you're not gonna allow a real person to walk down the barn aisle in an actual fire situation. So that means you gotta have a run out plan, which means the barn is green. It's got gates at both, door, both ends. There's secondary fencing around the entire place so that if anything gets out of the barn, you can close the front gate to the facility and the horses at least stay inside the secondary fencing. Our preference would be that you close the barn door at one end, chase them all out into the paddocks, and they can run around and be idiots and do whatever they're gonna do from there, and you can deal with the fire from there. So you can see, Wendy, that most places aren't laid out this way. You need to be able to think about how can I open or close one or two gates and prevent the problem. Because if you just open the stall doors and let them run out and you don't have secondary fencing, what they do is they run to the road and they run down the road, they get hit by cars and all these awful things that we see time and time again. A little bit of Googling of some actual fires, you will see it every single time where the horse got hit by a car after they were they had the fire. And, and that's, that's very frustrating to me. I will send you this picture, Wendy, so you can send out to your folks. Okay. This is an example of what we do with firefighters. We teach them, you know, with your gloves on and breathing like Darth Vader, there's no way that you're gonna actually be able to pull the, the halter around and get that little clip to fit into the hole in the dark on a horse that's scared of you. Um, and meanwhile, if you hold still for too long, you have to wiggle because your pass alarm for your safety will go off and the horse is gonna be like, what the heck? So we teach them put a rope around their neck and just walk. And a well-trained horse should walk with a rope around its neck. It's not the best, but it's better than nothing. On the right hand, that's a run-out plan. That's one of the universities up in um, Olds College up in Alberta, Canada. And we've been practicing, you know, open the stall doors and chase them out towards one end. The, the big door at the other end is closed. And we work from one end to the other and we can chase them all out. And we can empty 50 stalls in about two minutes, which is what we're really looking for now. Are the, is there a possibility of injuries? Absolutely there is. Uh, is there a possibility the person could get hurt if they're not paying attention and they step out in the way of a horse that's running down the path? Of course there is. But um, you got to practice those kind of things. 
And what we've found time and time again, depending on how many horses are in what layout of barns, it almost invariably at least halves it. And even most of the time it cuts it down to two minutes, no matter how many horses you're trying to pull out. And if you look at this picture, this is Torque. This is my little Appaloose that we use for everything. And every barn he ever goes into burns with simulated smoke. And what we're doing here with the firefighters is we had them let him go. And he actually, you know, you can see there's a little bit of light, not much. He left and he starts walking down the barn aisle, but Ariel is still in her stall. And when she hears clippity, 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 she goes, <laughs> and Winnie's, he turned right around and started trotting back through the barn aisle. And these firefighters are hitting the back of the door going, oh my God, what's going on? Can you imagine how terrifying it is to be a firefighter that's never had to deal with horses and all of a sudden there's this horse barging back through the barn aisle? It's very dangerous to do. And that's why you've got to practice it. You need to have your fire department out to practice it. And if they don't know what to do, tell them to get a hold of me and I will give them some resources. Now, this is Palmer Ranch. This happened about five years ago, but they were successful. They had a run out plan. They were able to chase the horses out. Sadly, some of the horses ran down, nobody got hit, but some of them hit, you know, went to the road and some of them ran into the next door neighbors. Some of them got caught in the fences and stuff. So it took them a while to recover those spooked horses, you can imagine, but at least they didn't lose anything to the fire and the whole facility burned, but at least they were able to get all the horses out. So it does work on a grander scale. Um, you know, we don't see enough of these where they actually had a plan. I had to brag about these guys because they actually did it. So it really comes down to, you know, there's Ariel. If you're going to do these things, involve your local fire department, ask them to come out, practice these things with some fake smoke, and you guys will become believers that there has to be a better way because it's not the firefighter's fault. They don't handle horses every day. They don't know how to do an emergency rope halter. They don't know how to do some of these kind of things, and they will get hurt. You don't want to get your firefighters hurt. So get them out there, practice, and come up with a better plan. There's lots of resources. I'm gonna send this list of resources to Wendy so she can send it out and post it on the Facebook page. Um, there's a textbook, there's a whole bunch of, of publications, and I will send those to you after this, Wendy. Great. There is a online prevention tool that I encourage everybody to look at. I've been working with Equine Guelph up in Canada. They work with the equine industry, and a lot of their stuff has been prevention of these things. You can go to that online tool from anywhere around the world and you can plug this in. They've got an indoor and an outdoor. So facility safety on the outside as well as facility safety for fires on the inside. And they also are going to be running a barn fire safety course in May 2021 that I help them with every year. So those are some resources to look for. Other than that, if you need to get a hold of me, there's my cell phone and my email. And I will I will respond to you as soon as possible after I get done writing. <laughs> that's where i'm going from here baby wow all right questions let's see what do we got we got any questions no questions what uh no i think pretty people are in shock um sorry you no know, somebody's asking about um uh, sprinklers but i think what you're saying is they don't work in a lot of situations because they're exposed to the elements yeah, so what they do, if you if you put them in a barn and it's exposed to cold, they have to have the air-assisted version, which means you have to have a compressor. It puts air into the system, and then when the actual fire occurs, it uh, releases the air. The water fills in, and it and it does its job as a sprinkler. So 
a lot of people say, well, the racetrack has sprinkler systems. They do. But what has to happen is the fire department comes, attaches to the sprinkler system, and forces water through the system. So it's not like an automatic sprinkler system like we tend to think of at most hotels and those kind of things. So right. what you see at the racetrack is very different from what you see at a hotel. It can be used, um, but it's, it's, uh, it's not what you think it is. Okay. Um, what about lightning rods on roofs? Is that helpful? I'm a big fan of that. You know, there's people that go back and forth on that. Some people say it's absolutely useless. Uh, I've talked to several electrical engineers. They said, hey, it can't hurt. It's not that expensive and it, it might help. So the whole goal for those things is to, to sort of treat the barn like a Faraday cage. In other words, the lightning hits, it hits the one point that you attract it to and then it sends it to ground instead of affecting the structure. Uh, we actually had a barn here in Georgia, in Bishop, Georgia, that had a whole bunch of Clydesdales. You've probably seen it somewhere on social media because the kid actually used his ATV to crush the door because what they didn't realize is once the electrical went out, those big fancy doors that they had that were on an automated system didn't work. So he crushed the door and they were able to get all the Clydesdales out. But it hit their phone system. And when it hit the phone system with that much energy, it actually caused an ignition and caused their barn to catch on fire. And I went to that facility after the barn fire. They got all the Clydesdales out, probably because they're Clydesdales. Okay, you can catch me. I'll follow you through the barn. No problem. <laughs> I can think of, think of a lot of horses that wouldn't do that, but they were very successful. They managed to get the horses out. So, so somebody's saying, I don't want the fire department to shut my barn down if they come out and I'm not up to code. How can I prevent this? Ah, uh, okay. Hang on. Let me see. Where's the question? Uh, let's see in the chat uh okay i'm looking bottom. looking good looking good looking good <laughs> somebody said holy shit sorry <laughs> uh, uh i don't want the fire department to shut down my barn oh that's jen and i'm not up the code okay so jen's got a good point nobody in the fire service that i know of except maybe in new jersey there's a few places where you're supposed to be having the fire marshal come out and do an inspection, those kind of things. It's supposed to be the code, but it's very few places. In most places, they do not care about trying to shut you down. They're not going to charge you nothing. They're going to come there and they're going to say, hey, you need to make these suggestions. You know, these suggestions for how you could update it. In most places, it's not to code and they're never going to come back and check. They're just going to make some suggestions. And it's not, they're not going to charge you. They're not going to, well, they may embarrass you a little bit, but I'd embarrass the hell out of you. So don't worry about it. You know, um, I don't mean to, but that's just, I've learned over the years. That's the honest truth. Um, I walk into barns all the time and I'm like, why don't you just call for some help? And they're like, oh, I'm afraid that I'm going to get charged. I'm like, you're not going to get charged. And if you think you're, you know, ask when you call the fire department, Hey, are you guys going to come down here? Most of you guys are in a rural situation where your volunteer fire department um, gets a tiny amount of money from your tax jurisdiction and they're out there on the side of the road trying to get donations and those kind of things so have them come out and do your inspection have a have a um barbecue or something feed them yeah. they'll be happy make a small donation to the, the volunteer fire department they'll absolutely love you uh is there a directory of the uh T-L-A-E-R trained people? Okay, there's not really a directory. Over the years, we've done a lot of training for various people. 
Um, what I encourage people to do is to get that, you know, the only people that are really going to respond to your barn is your local fire department. And there's 36,000 fire jurisdictions in the United States alone. So you got to reach out to your fire department, get them some of this information. You can hook them up with me and I will send them some information. But the biggest thing that they need to know is that the community is aware of the problem and that they need some help. Because what usually happens is they're like, oh, well, we do all this structure stuff and we respond to all these different other kind of fires, but we didn't even think about barns. And if it's not happened in the last five or 10 years in your jurisdiction, they probably didn't even think about barns. Right. So make them a little bit more aware of it, have them come out to your facility and give them some of the resources that I'll give you and get them a little bit more trained. Um, me personally, I end up talking to people on the phone all the time. They call up and they say, hey, I got a horse in the mud or I've got a barn fire uh, getting not ready to happen or whatever. And I say, hey, let me talk to the fire department. And I can give them some details over the phone. And in 30 seconds, I can make them smart on how they can access some of these problems. So um, I'm not saying call me when there's an actual fire. <laughs> I'm just saying call 911. But what I'm saying is that I can help them with some resources that are tracked towards the fire department so that, that they can understand that some of the challenges. All right. Wow. Well, this is once again been on a really informative webinar, a little, uh, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing we don't hey, want. Hey, my, my chief actually made it on the webinar. So now I gotta, I gotta go, I, I gotta go to drill tonight and he's <laughs> either gonna fire me or he's. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, um, but no, this is really important information for people. And, and, you know, what it's got me thinking of, this is the third one with you, but I finally realized maybe what I need to do in my County is we have, we have volunteer fire departments and, um, get them to get together to do a training is, uh, I think what that's really what it takes. And if you do it at your barn, you know, time it and, and ask them, you know, and what we call set it up, up for success, do it, uh, without all the scary smoke and all those kind of things the first time, just have everybody try to catch their horses and walk them out and then start adding in the excitement and then start adding in the smoke and adding in all those kind of things. Uh, many times what we tell people is, get them to put their gear on and just walk through the barn watch the horse's behavior watch how some of them are really curious and some of them are like holy hell i'm leaving i'm gonna go out the back door you know so um that obviously that kind of exposure it's no different than getting a blue tarp out and getting them used to those kind of things and it may save their life someday and again probably the biggest thing you guys can do to retrofit your barns is come up with a way to do a run out plan and some access to your outside walls so that you can, I know there's all kinds of frustrations and I know it's expensive to put in a second door, but that gives you the opportunity to get those animals out from that. And let me know if you run into problems. I've got lots of resources that I will send to you and uh, I appreciate you having me on the, the webinars with Wendy today. Oh yeah, no, it's awesome. Thank you so much. Just unshare your screen, we'll wrap this up. And uh... okay. And I think this is there the we third webinar we've done, right? We did trailers, we did- uh, uh, An overview of TLR and this, yes, ma'am. Right, 
Yep. So just everybody you can go back and I'll, what I'll do is I'll create a playlist so you can get to these really easy on the uh, Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. Share this with your friends. This is really important information that every barn owner, every horse that's in a barn, we all need to have a plan. We don't want to be one of those barns that Rebecca's shown us. So, you know, share it with your friends, talk about it. Uh, you know, if you've got a community or neighbors, you know, get together and, and make a plan, talk to your fire department. And I think this is so valuable to do ahead of time you know I hope I hope that people you know this week um, I've talked to two 4-H groups about the exact same I, I toned it down for the 4-H groups guys I, I did okay <laughs> but I didn't want kids going home and going oh my god my horse is gonna burn to death anyway but um, you know share the stuff with your 4-H leaders share it out there with your pony club groups um, because I really you know they that 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 farm that they lost in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. If you take a look at those horses, um, you know they got all the pictures of the little kid with the horse, and it's a memorialized picture. And it makes me so sad because I'm not saying that they did anything wrong, but it's just the same things time and time again. And I'm gonna bet that there is probably an electrical problem, and they were doing the best that they knew. But we got to get smarter and we got to start getting that communication with our veterinarians and our firefighters to work together, come up with a better way to handle these kinds of things and stop thinking that somehow magically the volunteer fire service is going to be able to fix it for us. We've got to get involved in that. And oh, by the way, for those of you that don't know, do I look like some studly Hungwell 20 year old firefighter? I'm not. Okay. They love women in the fire service. Okay. And you don't have to be 18. They're always looking for people. In the Sorry, I had to get that in. <laughs> but what you think is the fire service is not the fire service. In your volunteer community, sign up for helping with the fire service. Get involved in your fire service. Me and my husband are in our 50s. He just joined at 51 years old, and he's already working on his firefighter too. He loves it. It's a way to get involved in your community, and um, I had to put that in. <laughs> Great. No, it's fine. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been such a pleasure. And um, any information you want to send me, I'll make sure it gets up on my website. So I will send it on an email right now. All right. Thanks. Thanks, thank everybody. You, for coming in. And tomorrow we have um, Martha Cook and we're going to talk about uh, she's from Tra uh, Trafalgar Square Books and have been publishing fantastic horse books for, oh, I don't know probably 40, 40 years. So cool. it'll be really fun to take a tour. <laughs> That's cool. All right. Thanks everybody. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.